Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. Inside Sources. Inside Sources. Inside Sources. Where KSL offers Utah deeper insights on the news. Host Boyd Matheson divides rage from reason and elevates the conversation on issues crucial to our community on KSL News Radio 102.7 FM and 1160 AM. 17 days. It's only 17 days before Congress needs to pass a spending bill to avoid a government shutdown, a crisis that uh, we predicted here on this show way back in December, that they would fund the government until, oh, I don't know, about uh, February the 17th or the 18th. I think uh, our uh, exceptional board op time may still have the post-it note that uh, has our prediction on there. Uh, But just funding the government is not the only thing that Congress has to get done. And the, the real question is, is with everything that is piling up that needs to be done, is it a to-do list for Congress that's actually doable? Or is this a logjam, backup, and breakdown just waiting for disaster? Let's begin. Think you know the news of the day? Think again. Really pleased to be joined now by Catherine Tully McManus, a political reporter, a reporter for Politico, I should say that properly, covering Congress. She's also the author of their Huddle newsletter, something you should all check out. Catherine, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me. You've been uh, helping us work through the uh, laundry list of things that Congress really needs to get done over the next few weeks. Uh, And let's start with that little idea of uh, funding the government. Uh, Where are we on that? And uh, what do you see as the big negotiating pieces on that uh, in the next couple of weeks? So that deadline is February 18th, coming up, you know, too quick at this point. Uh, It's already a short-term stopgap. They could not come to an agreement uh, back when the fiscal year technically started. And there is a possibility that they do another short-term spending deal again if they cannot come to agreement on the 12 spending bills to fund the entirety of the federal government. Um, The current situation that we're in, President Joe Biden and Democrats, who obviously run the House and the Senate right now, have not been able to put forth or pass their own spending levels. So we are currently operating, which is suiting many Republicans, under Trump-enacted spending levels. Um, A big tension are those top-line numbers. And what we know today is that uh, top leaders in both chambers, Leader uh, Speaker Pelosi, Majority Leader Schumer, met with top appropriators spending on spending today um, and are 
say they are on the same page, Democrats are on the same page, and they're awaiting a Republican counteroffer at this point. Okay, and I think that's so interesting. And uh, uh, as you mentioned, Catherine, these continuing resolutions, it does just keep the spending on autopilot, as you said, back into the the Trump administration spending levels. So it just kind of keeps everything rolling along there. Uh, One of the interesting things I wanted to ask you, Catherine, as it relates uh, to the spending is if they fail to actually do the job, which is, as you rightly pointed out, pass those 12 appropriations, those 12 spending bills to get that done, is it likely that we just see them punt this all the way until, I don't know, the second or third Tuesday in November, Uh, which would mean that the president would have his first two years in office without actually doing uh, a budget and a a plan. Uh, Do you see that kind of kick the can down, or is there a shorter term maybe into the fall? I think that Democrats definitely do not want to see that full year spending timeline for it to delay creating new um, spending levels and, you know, reallocating to Democratic priorities um, within the federal budget itself. Republicans, some are saying that longer term CR would work just fine for them, um, although some of the loudest opponents. Uh, both Republicans and Democrats, of those long-term continuing resolution plans are folks focused on the Pentagon and the Defense Department. Um, Included in, you know, annual spending bills is a raise for our armed forces and uh, other key security measures. And there's a lot of warnings from Folks, especially looking at, you know, the situation abroad right now, that they would like to see the Pentagon and all our armed forces running with what they have requested for mm-hmm. funds in the coming year. Yeah, well, we'll continue to monitor that as the uh, that loud ticking noise is the countdown clock. Uh, so we'll continue to monitor that over the next couple of weeks. And uh, I, I think you're right. I think we end up with some sort of additional punt here uh, rather than Congress doing their job. Uh, and this is an equal opportunity offense. This is Democrats and Republicans alike that have become all too comfortable with continuing resolutions and, and just these massive packages of autopilot. Uh, so I want to jump to a couple of other things really quick with you, Catherine, that you have pointed out that are on that to-do list. Uh, we'll, we'll save the, uh, the big one in terms of the uh, nomination and confirmation of a Supreme Court justice. Uh, but I want to get into some of these other components that you have been highlighting on Politico. Uh, one is just the, the fact that there is some bipartisan elections reform uh, conversations that are happening and some possibilities there. What do you see playing out? Absolutely. Right now, because the Democrat-led proposal that had sweeping changes to how federal elections were run and operated failed very dramatically before the new year, there has now been a pivot to this very narrow, focused set of changes to change basically how electoral votes are counted uh, in, within Congress after the election. That is, of course, the process that um, was interrupted and then eventually completed after the uh, violent attack at the Capitol on January 6th last year. Um, part of what they are looking at now is this Elections Act. It is uh, more than 100 years old. This is one of the most basic tasks that Congress does is approve these electoral votes. 
they're looking at making it harder to overturn an election within Congress of the president. And they are looking also there's bipartisan support for measures that would protect election workers and the people who administer elections on a local level who in states, both red and blue, are facing intense threats and scrutiny um, and in some cases violence against them and their families. Um, And there is agreement absolutely on Capitol Hill that that is not right and that those people on the ground in states, counties across the country are doing the work of democracy. um, And they want to make sure those folks, one, are protected and two, that it's not a scary job to enter. Yeah, absolutely. So vital. And as, as you said, there is so much bipartisan support that's available there. I hope that's when they jump on and, and move on swiftly in terms of that restoring that trust for the American people. Uh, just a, a minute left with you, Catherine. And I do want to hit one thing on the economy. Uh, we know that the House will take up uh, some things focused on competing with China. Uh, the House's version is, I think, over 3,000 pages now with some Fairly significant changes to what was passed in the Senate about six months ago. Uh, do you see any path forward for that, or is this another one of those bills that's just too big uh, and needs to be broken into some pieces in order to actually get through? I will say that while there are big differences between the House and Senate bill, there does seem to be a really significant motivation and support in both chambers and on both sides of the aisle to reconcile these bills and move forward on them. And one of the big drivers of that is what folks are hearing at home in their home states and in their home districts about inflation, about shortages of those semiconductor chips uh, that, you know, are driving car prices and other uh, electronic prices up. Um, And, Building that competitive edge with China is what the goal of this, this, both the House and Senate legislation is. And I think what they're hearing back home is driving support across the aisle, definitely. I I obviously can't guarantee that Congress will get anything done ever. <laughs> oh, come uh, on, I Catherine. This, I think that uh, especially moderates uh, on the Democratic side are saying this is what we need if we want to hang on Mm. to any of these seats in the midterm. So that's going to be a motivating factor for Democratic leaders in both chambers. Fantastic. Great insight, uh, as always, from Catherine Tully McManus, again, a a reporter for Politico covering Congress. Uh, She's also the author of their Huddle newsletter, which is a great source of insight and wisdom there. Catherine, thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you. So, again, as we look at all of these things, uh, it is a massive to-do list uh, for Congress over the next few weeks. Uh, That loud ticking noise uh, is uh, a government shutdown in the offing. Now, I don't think a shutdown is going to happen in any way, shape, or form. Neither party wants that rolling into the midterm elections. Uh, My guess is they will punt the ball as they have before. Maybe I'll have Ty write down the prediction. I think we're going to get a punt of this one to the third Tuesday of November, post the 2022 midterm election date. And I think that's when they'll pick it back up and see if then they can actually do their job. Uh, But so many other things that Congress needs to get to. And I hope that they can set aside a lot of the posturing of a midterm election year and actually get down to the people's business. That's a to-do list worth doing. With Lloyd Matheson on KSL News Radio. I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. 
In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts.